punishment, if you will. Uh, we've looked at um, verses 14 and 15, the judgment upon the serpent, uh, upon even Satan himself is the idea. And we see that even in that judgment of which God is pronouncing that there is um, grace, not for the serpent, but rather for all of hum- humanity, uh, that is going to be coming through the one who will crush the head of the serpent, that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we see the promise, that we see the, the, the preaching of the gospel given to us in Genesis 3.15. And then tonight we're going to see in verse 16, a judgment upon the woman, upon Eve. And so it's ladies' night tonight. Right? Uh, don't get too excited. Just kidding. Okay. <laughs> I'll have to tuck this away for Mother's Day. No. <laughs> Uh, but then we have in verses 17 through 19, a judgment upon man and the land. And so let's read here verse 14 uh, to 19. But I, I promise you tonight, though we're going to be looking at verse 16, at God talking to Eve, there's something for everybody here tonight. Um, and, and so we're going to see how this directly affects her, but how this affects as well um, her heart, the home, and not just them, but how it has trickled down to you and I. Uh, tonight. And so let's read here verse 14. It says, And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, above every beast of the field, upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake, in sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field, and the sweat of thy face Shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. Now when we approach this passage, and when people look back at the Garden of Eden, they look at Adam and Eve, and they look at sin, you normally hear one of, of two opinions about Eve, and that is, one, over here, the, she's innocent, I tell you, she's innocent, right? Perfect, angelic, saintly Eve did no wrong. Well, that's not right. And then we've got the other side over here that says, um, well, she's just as wrong too, and, and she really wasn't to see. We've got a whole bunch of issues here, right? You try to go in over this way or this way, but here's what the Bible says. The Bible says this. It's very clear. God made Adam. He had one tree he was not supposed to eat of. But then God gave him a wife. And he had one wife. And it was a great wife. And they had a great relationship and a great marriage. And things were great. They were perfect, wonderful, in a a perfect place, perfect relationship. Why? Because sin had not come in. Now, Adam was the federal representative. Adam was the federal head. So when Adam falls, humanity falls. But then we look and we go, well, we've got some who look and they say, well, the order, Eve eats first, so she's the first sinner. uh, So she's the real reason why Adam ate the fruit, all these things. I want you to know, you want to know why Eve ate the fruit? One, she was deceived. But in her deception, she still decided to eat that fruit. You want to know what Eve knew? She knew this tree I'm not supposed to eat of. Why? Because God had told them. Adam had said it. They had known it. The law was there. She was not oblivious and and so innocent that she just goes, well, I didn't know that tree even was a bad tree or that the fruit was bad or that I was disobeyed. Certainly she knew. She was deceived, convinced, convinced, 
by the devil through the form of this serpent. That Well, did God really say that you would actually die? Well, maybe not. Well, that, that fruit looks pretty good. We, we go back and we look. In verse number 3 of chapter 3, says, But the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. So what does that tell us? This is Eve speaking, by the way, in verse 3. is Eve. She knew the law. She knew. But then she even added to it. She said, God, God had said, don't eat of it. Now she says, God has said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. Well, boy, some interest is sparked there because now you've got a conflict of what God had said and now what this serpent is saying. And then it says, For God doth know in the day that ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as God's, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat. And then she gave to her husband, and then he did eat. So what do we find? Eve decides to eat, even through her deception. She's not innocent. She decides to eat. This serpent did not go, open your mouth, right? Get, get it. It didn't happen. There was no forcing. And what do we find? From the very first sin in the garden to you and I, nobody has to force us to sin. We do it because in that moment, it looks good for food. It's pleasant to the eyes. It's a tree to, to be desired to make one wise. The same thing that the Bible goes on to later tell us. It is the, the lust of the flesh and eyes and, and pride of life. This is what's taking place. And so she eats. That's her decision. She then makes another decision. We'll give it to my husband. And then he makes a decision. I'm going to eat. So we have to understand here that we can try to have a million different either excuses for Eve or a million different condemnations about Eve. Nevertheless, while she is deceived, she still decides. You've sinned plenty after being lied to before, haven't you? The devil whispers lies. The world lies. There's plenty of deceptions and, and snares and traps before your feet. But whose fault is it when you sin? It's still yours. We can't blame the devil. The devil didn't make you do a thing. And you can't blame God. We sin because we want to. And this is what had taken place in the life of both Eve and Adam. Now, Adam was different in his sin in the sense that when he sinned, everybody is now going to be a sinner. That means... Everyone that comes after them will be born in sin, born in rebellion, born separated from God, because that's what sin does. Now, let's get here to what you've got tonight. First of all, when we look at this, I had to get that out of my system a little bit, and I had to get us to where we understand a little bit about Eve, okay? Especially as we come into verse 16, we look and we go, well, just skip over Eve. No, he's got to address her. He's got to, because God is just and good, and gracious. Remember, some would say, well, isn't he a little harsh on Eve? Now she's going to have all these multiplied sorrows. Well, she could be in hell. Or in the very instant, and God would have been just. He doesn't even have to get to the serpent, Eve, or man. He could have just said, you know what? Let's, all of it. But God is gracious. God is merciful. And God is working these things out to do what? to bring forth the Lord Jesus Christ, to reveal Himself to mankind, to die, to redeem us by the blood of His cross, to reconcile us to God. Now, let's get into verse 16. 
Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children that desire to be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Let me ask you this, class participation. Is sorrow a good feeling? No, it's not. Here we've got it twice in one verse. She's not just going to be sorrowful. She's going to be sorrowful upon sorrowful upon sorrowful. Here, Genesis 1 and 2 about this sets the precedent of the family and the roles of man and woman. And there's no debate. There is man. There is woman. And though they are equal, yet they are distinct in their roles and responsibilities. And there is no if, ands, or buts. And if you have if, ands, or buts, Go read Exodus then through the rest of the Bible and you'll see how Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and all the way through to the end of the Bible shows the same message. God did not change. His mandate did not change. And it does not change today because society has changed. Yes, we are not in the 50s, but God's word is still true because it was then, it is now. We have to stick to the book. All right? Y'all all right? Okay, I hope, I, I hope so. <laughs> that, all right. <laughs> all right. But this is the precedent. And when we look at this, I would much rather stick and do what God says because there's blessing in it. There's freedom. Ladies, there's freedom in doing what God called you to do. Gentlemen, there's freedom in being the man that God called you to be and wants you to be. Society would tell us today that it puts such chains and of, of, of this um, sort of patriarchy upon... No, it does not. There's freedom in listening to what God has said because it was meant for them to be this way. But sin made what was supposed to be good made it all bad. Let's look at that. Man was supposed to be the prophet, priest, and king of the home. He was supposed to love his wife as Christ loved the church. We'll look at that in here a little while. As long as i got time, we'll see. I talk quick. You listen quick. The woman, she was to be the helpmeet. She was brought from him. And she was to help her husband and to raise up children in the home. And the great promises that had just been given in verse 13 is that she was, in her mind, going to be raising the one that was going to crush the head of the serpent. Now, the two things that should have been her greatest blessing, children and her husband, are now going to cause her great sorrow and pain. Tonight, just to help out, I'm not great with looking up illustrations of things. I, I know what I've seen. I know what I've dealt with. And I think about my mom. Right? Anybody got a good mom? Right? All right. I had a good mom. Still have a good mom. She's still alive. I got a great mom right now. Yeah. She's Jesus. She's great. Um, but I, I remember having different conversations, and the older I got, the more I realized that though I brought her much joy, that in my life, I also brought a lot of sorrow. I realized that even though me, her, and dad had many great joys, that me and dad brought a lot of Sorrows at times, because we're idiots. All right? We, we make mistakes. We sin. And when we're in the flesh, that's what happens. And, and what should be such a blessing? And what was meant to be a blessing? Because remember, Genesis 1 and 2, what do we find? Be fruitful and multiply. It's beautiful language. It's exciting language. It, it's now... Adam and Eve get to go and procreate and to do so together lovingly and biblically and rightly before God and to be a part of something bigger than themselves and to raise up children to know God and to walk with God. and That's some joyful things, isn't it? But yet, because of sin, what's going to come is 
great sorrow through childbirth and the same child that you would look at when they're so cute and bring you so much joy when that that little is going to turn 13, right? And is going to look at you and that same child that you love so much and that walks up to you and toddles over to you and says, I love you, Mama. And there's nothing so as sweet as that, right? Is then, sadly, what happens to most as they get older, instead of toddling up to you and saying, I love you, Mama, is going to walk right up to you. I hate you. This house is a prison. It's not fair. You don't love me. And this is what happens. Joy, but great deep sorrow. Nobody, it's said oftentimes, and I know it sounds like a Mother's Day message, right? But I got Sunday, and, and I probably won't even, I might not even preach one. You, lady's still getting a gift. But anyways, <clears throat> we'll see. I'm going to preach what the Lord does, okay? Hear what he tells me. Nevertheless, it's often said that a mom, that no one has love like a mom. There's also no one that has such deep hurt like a mom at times, too. I know the hurts that I've put my mom through, and I was a good kid. I don't know about the rest of you guys, but we do that, don't we? Now, for Eve, these, these little kids, these little kids are supposed to be her great joy. She's going to watch one of them murder the other. We'll talk about some sorrow. Not, not even, even before you get there, before she gets to hold her little bundle of joy. Go through such sorrow and pain. And how about her husband? The one who she had just lived with in the garden and things were great. It was sunshine and roses. I mean, in a perfect place, perfect relationship. They had never fought before. They, they had never been uh, against each other. They had never used the children to put each other against one another. They had never manipulated one another. They had never abused one another. Now things are going to change because of sin. And this is also to reiterate something as well. For parents, God's design for you as husband and wife, when you become parents, you were husband and wife first. Being a parent, I mean, that's a great part of what they get to be. They were husband and wife first because one day your kids are going to grow up and they're going to leave you. And your spouse is still going to be stuck there with you. But your kids are going to grow up and go, and that's what you raise them to do. So let me ask you then, what relationship is more important? The time and effort, husband, that you put into your wife, that's got to come first. Because biblically in the home, that's the way it worked. If the relationship between mom and dad ain't right, it, what, what happens is oftentimes as kids, as wonderful and precious and a gift of God as they are, can become idols, and now they're the leaders of the home. And the home is not centered around Christ or the covenant of marriage, but rather it's now we got to get we got a little Billy to ball practice, we got to get Suzette to ballet recital and all this stuff, right? Yeah. Suzette, I'm sorry, we're not going to name our kids Suzette, by the way. I, I don't know where the name came Right? You think about this, though. And this is what happens. Everything goes awry the moment sin comes in. One commentator puts it this way, God's words of judgment relate to these two points. 
What was to be the woman's source of blessing, to be marriage partner and have children, is now tainted by the curse. In those moments of life's greatest blessing, marriage and children, the woman will feel most painfully the consequences of her foolish act. I've had conversations with my mom as I've gotten older, and the things that I've watched throughout her life is one, that she's been a strong believer for a long time and held us together when my dad was lost and was a heathen. And, and praise God, though, our family did change and change for the better when my dad gets saved, and that did make the difference, all right? It does make the difference. It is the difference maker. It's a deciding factor. But praise God for my mother who, who, who raised me and, and, and nurtured and, and put these things of the Lord in, into my heart so, so young. But what we find, though, is the older I got is that what was supposed to be so sweet at times, what was supposed to be her biggest blessing, which was her husband and her son, her only son, became at times the greatest sorrow. It wasn't supposed to be this way, ladies. But sin came. It wasn't supposed to be this way, husbands. But sin came. It doesn't let us off the hook and go, well... We're in a sinful world so I can be a lousy husband or a lousy father and not help her out. No. It means we've got to be what we are called to be. And it means that for us, whether you're a, a husband, a father, a man tonight, if you're, none of, uh, if you're not a husband, not a father, but you're just a man, if you're not a, a wife or a mother and you're a woman, you still have the godly call to be a biblical man, a biblical woman, and there is no greater higher calling on God's green earth than that. Do it to the glory of God and, and know that this is for a purpose. Now, let's look here tonight, first of all, her children. You see, the issue that we notice, what's going to be her source of joy and sorrow? Husband, kids. Well, those are two specific people, aren't they? But there as well two types of relationships. The relationship that wife has with husband is different than mother has with child. It, it is, and it's got to be. It's different. Love is still yet deep and, and shown and told and all these things. There's great much sacrifice, all this stuff. But what do we notice? The great joy that she was meant to have in those relationships now are going to become sorrows. And it's because sin, the first thing it does is attacks relationship. The moment sin entered the world, look at what happened. And the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked. How'd they know? They're looking at each other. They've seen their spouse before, but now they look different and not in a good way. And then they sewed fig leaves together, and that still doesn't help. And then they heard the voice of the Lord, and what happens? They go to hide. So now their vertical relationship with God is, is tainted. Their horizontal relationship with the only other person in existence at the time, mind you, is tainted. Now we can't even hide behind the same tree together naked because you're naked. You're gross. Right? This isn't right. I've got to have my own fig leaves. I've got to have my own clothes. I've got to have my own tree. And so the relationships have broken. And what does sin do? It breaks relationship. So what has Christ come to do? To mend. First of all, the relationship between us and God because that is the greatest of importance. And if that is not fixed, the horizontal relationship with man will never be fixed. You must be right with God in order to be right with man. For spouses, 
Parents tonight, if your relationship is not right with God, do not expect it to be right with your spouse. And if you want to have the right relationship with your spouse, with kids, ultimately it's got to start with the Lord. And you have to understand as well, while we will never be perfect and have a perfect relationship with the Lord, that also means that we will never have a perfect relationship with those around us. Whether your spouse or your kids, it sure would be nice, but praise God for heaven. Because on this earth, we're not going to have it. Now, look at this. In the context of this, her children are now going to become sorrows. She had just been told in verse 15, where we had just seen this promise, to sort of all of them, if you will, stand there in the sort of line of getting their judgments. I'll put enmity between, these, uh, between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Well, hearing that, Eve's got to feel pretty good. My seed's going to crush that serpent. Then verse 16 comes, and, and now her own heart. It's a, a crushing blow, if you will. But her seed has just been proclaimed to be the one that will crush the serpent and bring victory. That's exciting. But you and I have read the rest of the Bible. We've read just a chapter away, just a few short verses away from... And Cain was very wroth and his countenance fell. <laughs> and he goes and he slays his brother. And the idea of that, and we'll see this later on when we get to it, is that if he slaughtered him, murders his brother, the one that she believed was to be the one to crush the head of the serpent is actually going to crush the head of his brother. That's some sorrow. Can't imagine such pain. Can't imagine what she thought. And if we see, as we look through the rest of Genesis, what we're going to find is God gives a promise and a declaration. And then what we find is almost right after that, the people that it's given to start questioning and wondering because it's taken longer than what they thought. It's taken longer than what they wanted. They're waiting longer. Things are getting harder. There's trials and troubles and, and difficulties and tragedy and sin and issues and personal and, and outward. And, and that's going to take place here in her life. Matter of fact, just over, I want to turn just to Genesis 4, 25. It says, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son and called his name Seth. For God said she, uh, for God said she hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. There was a seed that crushed the head. It was the faithful one of Abel, but then he's crushed, he's killed. What man or the devil means for evil, God uses for good and raises up Seth. And then it says people begin to call upon the name of the Lord in verse 26. And she sees that there's a, another seed, that there's hope restored again. And what we're going to find all throughout the Bible is this hope and things are good and then things are bad and there's no hope. But for this woman... Selhammer writes, In the beginning at the creation of man, woman, childbirth, lay at the center of the blessings bestowed on them by their Creator. After the fall, childbirth becomes the means by which the snake is defeated and the blessing restored. The pain of every birth is a reminder of the hope that lies in God's promise. Birth pangs are not merely a reminder of the futility of the fall. They are a sign of an impending joy. It's often said, and I want to go ahead and make this disclaimer out here in case there's anybody wondering, I am not with child. 
I am not a mother, nor can I be. So I cannot relate on Mother's Day. I cannot relate to being a woman. Thank God, right? You, you got a man for a pastor, amen? <laughs> right? That's a good thing, right? Now look at this. We see though, having a newborn, what happens when we hear about somebody having a new baby? We get all excited. We get, and we should. But what do we do? We kind of just skip over that part of the hours and hours and hours and labor and pain beforehand. Because we know that there's the joy of seeing that child. Birth pains come. And though they remind of sin, though they remind of this world, though they remind of the sorrow of which now is there, they also remind in a greater level of the joy that is to come. Not just for child, but look at this. Romans chapter 8 speaks of this. Romans chapter 8, verse 22. tells us, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now, and not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? If we hope that we see not, that do we with patience wait for it. We're waiting for that joy, that day of joy. I'm waiting for that day to see my Savior. I'm waiting for that day to be uh, gloriously uh, changed in the moment of a twinkling of an eye. Until then, I'm going to keep having this groaning within. And there should be a, this sort of groaning and longing and waiting and desiring for heaven. That is the moment, if you will, that boom, the joy's there. And it's worth it. That this short little light momentary affliction was working something greater in us is what the Apostle Paul talks about. We even see Jesus when talking about the end times. Matthew 24, He, he tells us, uh, Matthew 24, verse number 8, He says, after giving some things, He says, all these are the beginning." Of sorrows. So for Eve, now she's promised a multiplied amount of sorrows in thy conception. The child of which has been promised to bring the seed, and she's got a beautiful promise given. They're like, hey, it's going to come through me. The victory's going to come. The victory's going to come. The victory's going to come. But her child will kill her other son, and then left without hope again to then have Seth. Hope is restored. God is always at work through this. But her relationship with her children is going to bring joy and sorrow, but then with her husband. Sin changes every relationship, and sin always affects relationships in a negative way. When you sin, there's always an effect. There's always repercussions, whether personal or even seen outward in Change of relationship, change in status, change in the way you interact with people, change in the way that you have relationship with God, first and foremost. But now with her husband, let's look at this. It says, In sorrow shalt thou bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. She went from just a little bit ago having a perfect husband. Now for all the ladies, that say, well, that sounds good. 
It didn't last long. The moment sin comes in, perfect husband's gone. She had a perfect marriage. The moment sin comes in, gone. She had perfect womanhood where she was all that she was meant to be. Gone. And now sorrow is coming. And now the relationship between her Creator is tarnished. The relationship between her husband is tarnished. What used to be right is now just all wrong and out of sorts. And here what's interesting and what I want to touch on tonight is this. And thy desire shall be to thy husband. There's a lot of folks who, who wonder what in the world is, is that dealing with here? The same word for desire is used in Genesis 4, verse 7, right? Which says, If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Notice the same idea. Now we look back at verse 16. Here's what Guzik reminds us of at looking at the language here. That reminds us of Genesis 4-7 of the desire of sin to master over Cain. Because of the curse, Eve would have to fight a desire to master her husband. A desire that works against God's ordained order for the home. The principle of Adam's headship as a husband was established before the fall. You can look back at Genesis 2-18 and 2-22. Now the curse on Eve makes it much harder for her to submit and flow with God's institution of male headship in the home. As a pastor and as a husband, you see a lot of things and hear a lot of things. People come and talk about stuff, and especially about relationships and marriage. Almost everybody's problem in the world, besides money, comes down to relationships, by the way. Somebody's not getting along right. I'm just out of whack, whether it's with God or with somebody else. But especially with husbands and wives. Everyone, when they're standing there at the altar, expects the I do and the perfect part of that picture just to last forever and forever, forever. That picture is going to last, right, until you misplace it or something. But guess what? Things change real quick. When the honeymoon comes back. You're living in the house. Now you are living with another sinner for the first time. And now throughout all the dating and engagement, you didn't see a whole lot of sin. You didn't see a whole lot of issues. But now that you're there... Now things are starting to kind of butt heads and things that were cute aren't so cute anymore. And there's this desire to go, well, I was my own person before and now two have become one and it's no longer about you. It's no longer about me. It's about us. It's about what is now one. It's now been brought together. The idea here is that in this, she is now going to deeply struggle To submit to her husband. But what's also going to happen is that her husband is going to struggle, as he already has, to be the husband that he was supposed to be. Adam should have never allowed this discussion with the serpent to go as far as it did. Adam never should have allowed his wife to partake. His, his own self should not have partake. Partook. Partake, partook. Whatever it is. What we see is that Adam failed, she fails, and now they're going to begin this lifelong marriage struggle like everybody else does. There's no perfect marriage today. It sure would be nice. But guess what? We live still yet in a fallen world, and we're still fallen creatures that still do things out of our own flesh, for our own goals, our own desires. 
We still want our own way. The principle has already been established of his headship. He failed at it, but the Bible's pretty clear. Just because the man has failed in his headship does not mean that then you go, well, if he won't do it, that argument's been made for female pastors and female deacons, and that's not right. And if it's not right for pastors and deacons, it's not right for the home either. Here what we have to understand is that now, and what we see today, by the way, in the chaos of our woke culture, is that we see this rise in that it's not enough to be equal as a man and a woman, but just have different roles, responsibilities. Uh, By the way, let's go ahead and do this. I was going to save this to the end, but you know what? There's a high calling of womanhood here. And I I wrote a couple things down. Only a woman can be a godly woman in the church, in the home, as a spouse. Only a woman can do that. Only a woman can be a godly woman. A man can only be a godly man. He can't be a godly woman. Can't do it. How about this? Only a woman can be a wife. A man can't do it. It doesn't matter what he acts like, dresses like, or what society might tell him. can't happen. Only a woman can do that. I can't do what my wife does. She's good at it. Real good at it. I could never do it. I could never live with me. I know me. I couldn't put up. Only a woman. Why? Because God designed her for that purpose. We look at womanhood and we think either one, that it's so high that it's got to be above a man because of those things. Well, that's not right. Or we look at the opposite and we go, well, they're just a woman. And the other, this low, below a man. Hogwash to both. God has designed them to be equal yet distinct in their roles and responsibilities. But both are called to be the man and the woman that follow God and do so together. And only a woman can be a mother. Regardless of what society says today. Only a woman. Womanhood is a beautiful thing. Man can't carry a baby. A man can't be a wife. No matter what society will do or say, we must never look at submission, and as we've talked about already, as some sort of terrible thing. Rather, this was a biblical thing and a godly thing, and it was meant to be a good thing. Turn with me to Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5 covers a whole lot of things, but especially goes into the relationship of marriage in the picture that it is with Christ and His church. It begins in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. The beauty of this, and if you want the key to having a better... Because that's what everybody wants in a sermon anyways, by the way. They just want... Give me... Three things I could just do to make my life better. Okay, well, it's, it's here. I ain't got to tell you. Listen to the Spirit. Do what God already said. But if you want something, here you go. Verse 21. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. There you go. Hey, tonight, if you need marriage counseling, I got it for you. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Hey, if you're having a hard time with your husband, ladies, you got a knucklehead for a husband, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. 
Husbands, you got a, a wife that just is always butting heads. Maybe she's not even spiritual. Maybe she's not even sick. Hey, submit yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Got to get this right. Fear the Lord. Know God. And love your spouse to do the same. Now here's what he gets into then. Verse 22. Wives. Who's he addressing there? We try it again. Who's he who's addressing there? Wives. Okay, there we go. All right, you guys reading the same same Bible I got. All right, making sure. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. Not to somebody else, to their own husbands. Sadly, in a lot of marriage counseling that I've heard and had to be a part of for folks and, and, and talking to people, is we have husbands who think everybody else's wife is just so submissive and so nice and so godly and so good. If my wife just act like so-and-so, I could tell you what that is. It's adultery of the heart. And it's coveted. Both of those are sins last time I checked. And then we got the other side. The wife said, if my husband just acted like so-and-so, if he was just sweet like so-and-so's husband is, well, you don't know so-and-so's husband. You don't live with it. You see what's on the outside. You see what's happening at church. You see what you see at Walmart. Easy, easy fix. Stop comparing your spouse to somebody else's spouse. And how about you love the Lord and you love your spouse as you're called to? I'm talking to myself tonight too as I'm talking to you. We make our own messes with these things at times. And here's what happens. He goes on, he talks about how she is to submit. And therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. Husbands! Who's he talking to there? There we go. Doug's with me. Husbands, love your wives. Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it that He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word, that He might present it to Himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Why is it included in this way? Because men love themselves and they love their bodies more than anybody and anything. It says, do you want to love your wife? Love your wife like you love yourself because we love us some us. And sacrifice for her. We spend so much time fighting each other that we refuse to fight for each other. And that's the real problem. First Peter chapter 3 then tells us this. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the, com- by the conversation of the wives. That's a high calling. I've watched, by the way, an influence of such where a godly mother, a godly wife took her only son to church while her husband did not want to go to church and tried to keep said wife and child from going to church. And the Lord used a testimony and continual prayers, continual frustrations, and even continual arguments to see that that husband and father would be, would be saved. See it in my own family. That's who I'm talking about in case you're wondering. God can use you, ladies, for great things. And then he says, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, 
whose adorning let it not be outward adorning of plating the hair and of wearing gold or putting on of apparel. Here's the idea here. Verse, verse 3 and verse 4. The issues that they were facing is that they were wooing other folks with the way which they were dressing for attention, right? And this is where a lot of folks will take this and preach against women wearing pants and women having a hairdo or having color in the hair. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the issue of a heart that would put on the outward to appeal to someone who was not their husband. Wives, win your husbands. Husbands, win your wives. Win each other. Be there for each other. Love each other. Keep your eyes on each other and they won't be on anybody else. But let it be the hidden man of the heart and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of the meek and quiet spirit which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves being in subjection unto their own husbands. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham. Now, we're going to get into this later on. Let me pause there for a minute. Genesis is going to cover an awful lot of Abraham. Abraham was not a perfect husband. Matter of fact, he messed up pretty big a few times. We'll get into that. And what did she do? She followed her husband. By faith, trusting the Lord. He says, Whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well, who are not afraid with any amazement. Likewise, ye husbands dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife, as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Now Eve's relationship with her children are going to bring sorrow. Her relationship to her husband is going to bring her sorrow. What we find today is that now we have this terrible reality that women are often the leaders of the home because the men won't lead. Or then when the men do lead, they lead unbiblically and unjustly to where now they're abusers mentally, physically, emotionally. That's not right. That's not being a man. It's certainly not being a loving man or, or leading your wife or loving your wife. And what we now see in most marriages is not together walking and following and trusting the Lord, but now we find two, just over here. You come over here. We're going this way. We're going this way. We're not talking about directions, but we're talking about something deeper. We're talking about spiritual things. We're talking about emotional things. We're talking about both parties not doing what they are called to do, and that is you be the woman, the wife, the mother that God has called you to be, and that's a glorious calling. And you be the man, the husband, the father that you were called to be according to God, which is a high calling. And now do it together. That's why we have the marriage struggles in our day where husbands are ruling unjustly and loving sparingly. And wives often leading wrongly spiritually and respecting little because they look at their husbands and they go, I mean, we've got sorry husbands, we've got sorry wives, we've got sorry, a whole bunch of mess all over the world today. And the reason why is because we've taken what God has said and established in the first few chapters and verses of the Bible and we've shucked it and said, well, it's just a fairy tale. Let's just get to what Jesus said in the red words. Jesus said, follow that. Paul said, follow him. Either we take all of what God has said as truth, or you take none of it. Don't take the parts you like and shuck out the rest because it makes you uncomfortable or because you just don't like the way it makes you feel. Take it all. Trust the Lord and live rightly before Him. 
Whether you are husband, man, father, or woman, wife, mother, tonight, follow the Lord. And here, though, and we'll end with this. The roles often get reversed today. Because they were getting reversed then. Because of sin. Not out of, well, he's not doing his job, so i got to be the father. No. Or, well, she, she's a deadbeat mom, so i got to be the mom. No, you can only be, I don't care what you do, you can only be dad. Because that's who you are. You're a man. The issue is that we've got reverses, roles reversed, all these issues, everything's topsy-turvy. Everyone is doing that which is right in his own eyes, and it's leading us terribly astray. And it's hurting not just our marriages, but it's hurting our kids and our grandkids and our great-grandkids. And now we've got several generations of all sorts of mixed up and messed up. But I want to end on with this tonight for you ladies, and for you men as well. That though women experience great sorrows, there is also great joy and purpose as women fulfill their God-given call to biblical womanhood. So tonight, ladies, be who God called you to be. And don't think of it as some sort of lowly thing where it's just awful or terrible or grudge. No, it is a glorious thing of which God has called you to be because only you can do it. Only you can be you. And I would say to you men tonight as well, you do the same. Be the man that God has called you to be. And how will we know how to do that? The Bible. We don't need self-help books. We don't need all these different all these different folks in the world to tell us how to be this or how to be that or what even those things are or that those things don't even exist and you just are whatever you feel. We need to do and be what God has already declared. Now, we'll do that. God will bless. But I want to clue you in on something. You can follow it. Still not have a perfect marriage. Still not have perfect kids. Still have plenty of sorrows, but you'll still have plenty of joys. But one day, God will make things right. But it won't be on this sinful world. And until then, while we groan on the inside, we're groaning for something far greater and we're looking forward to that day of deliverance. That day, one day, is coming. We long and look forward to it. Let us pray. Lord, we come to you this night grateful for your word grateful for what you've given, uh, Lord, just not for us to, to know um, in our minds, but Lord, to follow and to trust in our hearts, God. I pray, Lord, that each one of us will fulfill the role of which you've called us to, Lord, that we would desire you and desire to um, glorify you in all things. God, I pray that you would strengthen our marriages, God, strengthen our relationships with you, with one another, with kids, with generations that have, uh, are growing up that don't know you, Lord. I pray, God, that you would help us to get these things right, Lord, to, to right the ship, Lord, not, not just for our, our nation, Lord, but for our very own homes, God. Lord, it's, it's, this world is, is going to just continue to get worse and worse. But Lord, just because the world does doesn't mean that our own personal lives have to be so bad, just like the world where we have terrible relations with you and with one another. So God, help us be faithful to your word. Help us to rely on it, to stand on it. God, to be moved by it and changed by it. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this time, Lord. Help us as we go from this place to, to chew and to meditate on your word. And God, that we would as well declare this message faithfully 
in this world that, that rejects the truth of what you have spoken. Lord, we love you and we thank you for this time. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all have a blessed night. And as you head out, I think Miss Cammie will have cookies for you. So.